Well, we're going to look at just one part of this text today. I, I had given, uh, I thought I might try to go on through verse 22, but we're just going to look at verse 19 today. There's enough for us to dwell upon here this morning and to put into practice in our lives, so I thought this would be most helpful for us to just look at uh, 1 Thessalonians 5:19. Very brief text from God's Word that says, Do not quench the Spirit. Do not quench the Spirit. Uh, such a short verse is easy to overlook, but it is, it is deep uh, and it is profound. And may the Lord give us grace to have a deeper understanding of what the Apostle Paul and God himself is saying to us and commanding us in this imperative that we find in his holy word. Well, let's begin by asking the question, who is the Holy Spirit? You know, simply put, he's the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Trinity, the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. However, when it comes to understanding the, the members of the Trinity, uh, the members, the persons of the Trinity, we have an easy time grasping who Jesus was because, of course, he, he uh, took on human flesh. He became uh, human. Uh, the divine became human without losing divinity. And we can read about his life, and he walked the earth. Uh, he was a human like us. And so we can relate to Jesus, and we also can understand God as the Father, you know, he's, he's talked about in Scripture as being a father. We all know what a father is because we all had one. Even if we didn't have the best father in the world or maybe even if our fathers were absent from our lives, we still understand what a father should be. A provider, a guide, a protector who loves his children. And, of course, that is exactly what God is, except he's perfect at that. He's a provider, a perfect provider, guide, protector, and one who loves his children. So it's easy for us to misunderstand the Holy Spirit because when it comes to the Holy Spirit, we have a hard time grasping who he is. Uh, sometimes we tend to erroneously think of him as some impersonal force. After all, he's a spirit, and, and a spirit communicates something to us. And if you go with the older term, Holy Ghost, that communicates something even more strange to us. But he's not a, an impersonal force. On the contrary, the Holy Spirit is a person. You'll notice my initial question, who is the Holy Spirit, not what is the Holy Spirit? He is a divine person, along with God the Father and God the Son. And these three persons make up the Godhead, and they are of one substance, power, and eternity. Now look at the outline, if you have that. Uh, you look on the back side. I've given you just a portion of the Athanasian Creed. You can see by the length of it why we don't quote it very often in the church because it uh, would probably take half the service to quote it. But it gives you a comprehensive view of the Trinity. It was written uh, probably in the 4th century. Uh, it's it's uh, called the Athanasian Creed because it was attributed to Athanasius, but he probably did not write it. Uh, it was probably written a little after him, but it reflects the things that Athanasius stood for. Let's just read it uh, really quickly. We worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confounding the persons nor dividing the essence. For there is one person of the Father, another of the Son, and another of the Holy Spirit. But the Godhead of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit is all one, the glory equal, the majesty co-eternal, 
Such as the Father is, such is the Son, and such is the Holy Spirit. The Father uncreated, the Son uncreated, and the Holy Spirit uncreated. The Father unlimited, the Son unlimited, and the Holy Spirit unlimited. The Father eternal, the Son eternal, and the Holy Spirit eternal. And yet they are not three eternals, but one eternal. As also there are not three uncreated, nor three infinites, but one uncreated and one infinite. So likewise, the Father is almighty, the Son is almighty, and the Holy Spirit almighty. And yet they are not three almighties, but one almighty. So the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. And yet they are not three gods, but one God. So likewise, the Father is Lord, the Son Lord, and the Holy Spirit Lord. And yet not three lords, but one Lord. For like as we are compelled by the Christian verity, Christian truth, to acknowledge every person by himself to be God and Lord, so we are forbidden by the Catholic religion to say there are three gods or three lords. The Father is made of none, neither created nor begotten. The Son is of the Father alone, not made nor created, but begotten. The Holy Spirit is of the Father and of the Son, neither made nor created nor begotten, but proceeding. So there is one Father, not three fathers, one Son, not three sons, one Holy Spirit, not three Holy Spirits, and in this Trinity, none is before or after another, none is greater or less than another, but the whole three persons are co-eternal and co-equal, so that in all things, as aforesaid, the unity in Trinity and the Trinity in unity is to be worshipped. He, therefore, that will be saved, let him thus think of the Trinity. That's a pretty comprehensive. You, you get no mistake about uh, what the Trinity is all about there. Three and one, one and three. So as we come to the Holy Spirit, it's important that we have a right understanding of the Spirit because that's exactly who Paul is talking about today. Do not quench the Spirit. So we need to understand not only the person of the Spirit, but the role of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the executive of the Godhead. The executive of the Godhead. Now, when I say executive, I don't mean that he wears a business suit and works in an office, as we might think of, a, of an executive. I mean that he is the one who executes or carries out the work of God in creation and in our lives. Whatever God does, he does by his Spirit. The reason we call an executive an executive is because an executive is someone who is authorized to carry out the desires of the company for whom they work. They have authority to carry out or execute business for the company. So the Holy Spirit carries out the work of the Godhead. He brings it into our lives, into creation. We also see this this executive role illustrated by the name Holy Spirit. The word translated spirit in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, both in Hebrew and Greek, is, is also translated wind or breath. Wind or breath. That's what the word ruach and the word pneuma in Greek mean. Pneuma, uh, ruach is Hebrew. Uh, wind or breath is air in motion. Wind or breath is air in motion. And the wind and the breath of life are powerful forces. And by using the word spirit, the stress, and what we're referring to here when we talk about the spirit, we are referring to the power and presence of God carrying out his will in nature and in our lives. It is energy. The wind is energy. 
Our breath is energy. It's moving. It's doing something. And that's the role of the Spirit. It carries things out. It executes. Not kills, executes, but carries out the will of God. So what does he do? What does the Holy Spirit execute? I've given you quite uh, four different categories of what the Holy Spirit executes, the work of the Holy Spirit. First of all, he's the immediate source of all life. The Spirit was there at creation, hovering over the waters. And all that was created, the Spirit was involved in that, bringing order out of chaos, bringing order from the formlessness and emptiness that was there. And he brings life to all living things. In reference to animals, Psalm 104.30 says, when you send forth your spirit, they, the animals, are created, and you renew the face of the ground. In reference to humans, Job 33.4 says, the spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty, or the spirit of the Almighty, gives me life. So the work of the Holy Spirit is a creative force. We see that also in the new creation. When we, when we are regenerated, brought to life, the Spirit creates life where there's spiritual death. So the Spirit is a life-giving force in nature and in our lives. Secondly, the Holy Spirit equips people with knowledge, wisdom, and giftedness. We are who we are. We can do what we can do because the Spirit has given us those abilities. I've been reading through Exodus and Leviticus, and there you have a description of the building of the tabernacle. And there were a couple of guys uh, who were especially gifted by the Holy Spirit to carry out all the craftsmen work. Uh, they were great in, in uh, metalworking and in sewing. People were given gifts and abilities to make the tabernacle a beautiful place. You see that in Exodus 31. You see, with Moses, Moses was empowered by the Spirit to carry out his duties from God. See that in Numbers 11:17. Jesus was baptized by the Holy Spirit at the River Jordan, empowered to carry out his work. And the Holy Spirit gives gifts to believers. We read about in places like Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and Ephesians. We have gifts or talents or abilities to serve the church. All believers, not just the officers, they're all given, we're all given gifts by the Holy Spirit. He empowers us to do, be able to do certain things. Then thirdly, the Holy Spirit is the revealer of and guide into all divine truth. He reveals truth. The prophet of, prophets of God were given the word of God by the Holy Spirit, it tells us in the Old Testament repeatedly. Paul talks about how the Spirit has revealed the things of God to him. And he speaks those things. For example, 1 Corinthians 2, 10. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So the Spirit gave the Word of God. How, how did we receive the Word of God? Men were carried along by the Holy Spirit. They were given the Word of God by the Holy Spirit. All Scripture is what? God breathed. Do you remember that word breathed? What it, what it, another way to interpret it? 
Spirit. Came from the Holy Spirit. From God. So he reveals the truth. We have the Word because the Holy Spirit gave it to us. But he also not only gives the Word, but he reveals us and guides us into truth. Jesus said when he talked about the Holy Spirit, when the Spirit of truth comes... He will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. So all truth is enforced on the heart and conscience with more or less power by the Holy Spirit. When the word is read, when the word is proclaimed, the Holy Spirit takes it and applies it to our hearts. He works it in. And we are indebted to that work not only in our lives, but in all of creation. The Holy Spirit has given us this word, the truth that's out there that restrains sin. It's called common grace. People know and understand things are wrong, or they should. Most people understand that murder is wrong. Some people seem to be having a problem with that in our day. But, the, but it's the work of the Spirit And when we receive the Word of God, it's because the Holy Spirit has illuminated us. We pray for illumination before we come to the Word. We pray that the Spirit would reveal the things of God to us. Not the things that are contained in the Word, but the Word of God. Help us to understand, to grasp all of it, because it is God's Word. Well, so the Holy Spirit is the revealer of and guide into all divine truth. We don't get it unless the Spirit illuminates us, turns the lights on. When we go and share the gospel with others, it's not based on, whether people's response is not based on our skill at articulating it. We certainly need to be skilled at articulating it. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be. But unless the Spirit opens the eyes and the heart, nothing's going to happen. The Spirit reveals and guides into truth. Fourthly, the Holy Spirit works on and in our hearts And this is kind of a comprehensive view. The Holy Spirit is the one who works in us salvation and sanctification. It's the special office of the Spirit to, first of all, to reveal, to to convince the world of sin. He brings conviction of sin. When I was a, a young person, I remember seventh grade, I was so excited to finally be able to get involved in youth group activities, and I went to summer camp. And I remember the preacher uh, speaking to us. It wasn't a, a large group of youth at this thing, but I remember being under such a deep conviction of sin. My eyes were watering. Uh, he was talking about Elvis Presley. And this guy knew Elvis Presley as a young person and had preached and saw that Elvis resisted coming to the Lord. And he told, I remember that story. And I was doing the exact same thing. And I, I never came to the Lord at that camp. I resisted. I was more interested in going out on the lake and having a good time. But I remember being under a deep conviction of sin, and that was the Holy Spirit. Thankfully, the Holy Spirit didn't quit on me. He kept convicting me of sin. And finally, I, I submitted to the work of the Spirit. But the Spirit is the one that convinces us of sin. The Spirit reveals Christ. He always is pointing to Christ. He's called the Spirit of Christ. We'll read that in a moment. uh, The Holy Spirit regenerates the soul in order to lead men to the exercise of faith and repentance. Regeneration, bringing 
life where there's spiritual death. He breathes life into our souls. And then, once he does so, he dwells in them. The Holy Spirit is God present in our lives and working powerfully in our lives. And by this indwelling of the Spirit, we are united to Christ. It's that fellowship we talked about last week. Through our union with Christ, through fellowship with Him and our communion with Him, we can rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances because it's the influence of the Holy Spirit in us, dwelling with us. And we have fellowship with God that way. And not only are, are we united to Christ, but we're united to the body of Christ. We're united to all other believers in Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit. Thus, the Holy Ghost, or the Holy Spirit, I'm reading from Charles Hodge here, the Holy Spirit is the immediate author of all truth, of all holiness, of all consolation, of all authority, and of all efficiency in the children of God individually and in the church collectively. So you see, the Holy Spirit, who he is, is a person, a divine person, and he is present in your life if you're a believer, and he does work. He does work in your life. And without the Holy Spirit work, you don't have God in your life. So before we go to the next point, what the text is talking about, we need to stop and ask ourselves a question. Where are you in relation to this? Do you know the Holy Spirit? Do you see his work in your life? Do you see the fruit of the Spirit in your life? Because if God, the Holy Spirit, is dwelling in your life, he's going to make a difference there. He can't but make, but make a difference in your life. It's the power that, rose, that raised Jesus from the grave. And it's in believers do you see evidence of his work in your life? And if you don't have the Holy Spirit in your life, then you, then you don't have the other members of the Trinity either. For they are one, as we just read. Jesus said in John 6, 63, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. See, we can't improve ourselves. We can't, you know, when, when convicted by the Holy Spirit, sometimes we just say, well, I'll try to do better, Holy Spirit. We may not address the Holy Spirit, but what we do, we think, well, I just need to shape up. Well, the flesh is not going to do that. You're spiritually dead. You can't, you'll fail quickly, and you'll find out that you can't do it. It's the Spirit who gives life, supernatural life. And when he does so, there's a change. Romans 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, who, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So how do you know where you are? How do you know if you are in right relationship to God, particularly the Holy Spirit? Well, Paul tells us, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. 
For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Galatians. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. You might think, hey, I'm pretty good on those. But then it goes idolatry. Eh, maybe, all right. Sorcery. Okay, we're good there. Nobody does that anymore. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. See, the Spirit's not dwelling in those people. There's no change. But if the, fruit, but if the Spirit is there, there will be fruit of the Spirit. He will leave behind evidence. What is it? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the fruits of the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is the divine presence and power of God in your life. If you are a believer, and there will be some evidence of that. Now how do we quench the Spirit? How can we quench the Spirit? It says here uh, that uh, the Spirit, literally, it says the Spirit do not quench. So the stress is on the Holy Spirit. To quench something means suppress it or restrain it. Uh, Any time that this word is used, it's used about fire. You know, you quench a fire by throwing water on it or you can throw dirt on it. Or you can quench it by just leaving it alone. It will eventually go out. So we can quench the Spirit by resisting the Spirit, by, by trying to, or, or by going against His operations in our lives. Synonyms for this in the Bible are resist the Spirit or grieve the Spirit. Now, let me get this, let's understand our relationship with the Holy Spirit as believers. If you are a believer, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. You are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. As soon as you're converted, the Spirit comes to live in you. Synonyms for that, or words for that in the Bible, are baptism of the Holy Spirit, sealing of the Holy Spirit. When you are, become a believer, you put your faith and trust in the Lord, the Spirit fully and completely comes to dwell in your life. Some people think that baptism of the Holy Spirit is something subsequent to uh, conversion. That's not the truth. The Bible is clear. If you study these different synonyms, it's clear that believers are fully fully, uh, uh, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit dwells in their lives. So we have the Holy Spirit We've been sealed by the Spirit, baptized with the Spirit. It's once and for all for every believer at the point of conversion. However, though Christians are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, they're not always filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, we've got to think clearly about what that word filled means. It's be filled with the Spirit is, is a command in Scripture. Uh, do not get drunk with wine, Paul says to the Ephesians, for that is debauchery but be filled with the Spirit. Now, to be filled with the Spirit is not referring to the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. 
Rather, it refers to the influence of the Spirit in your life, if you are a believer. Paul says, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. So he's comparing the two. When someone is drunk with wine, they are under the influence, right? You say, well, they're under the influence. Well, a person who is filled with the Spirit is under the influence of the Spirit. When a person is drunk, they're no longer in control. The alcohol is in control. And you do silly things. You know, the, the person who says, hold my beer, watch this, usually dies. Because they're not in control and they do stupid things. The person who is under the influence of the Spirit does the things that the Spirit desires. Not that the, you know, the person that's drunk does what the alcohol tells you to do. So we, when we are filled with the Spirit, we're under the influence of the Spirit. We're controlled by the Spirit, what the Spirit desires. An unbeliever, well, a believer who, is, who has the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives is sometimes more or less under the control of the Spirit. When we resist the Spirit, we're less under the control of the Spirit. We're quenching the Spirit. And we're grieving the Spirit. When we say, I'd rather go sin than follow the Spirit's leading to, to do right and to follow Him and to follow Jesus and, and do what He would have me do. We're quenching the Spirit. We're resisting the Spirit. We're grieving the Spirit. When we keep in step with the Spirit, when we walk by the Spirit, when we mind the things of the Spirit, that's when we are more filled with the Spirit, more under the control of the Spirit. See, that's where the battle comes that Paul talks about in Romans 7. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things that I don't do, I do. That's the battle we're having with the old fleshly desires. And we've got the Spirit, and He's telling us to do one thing, and, and the, the flesh is pulling us in another direction. We need to mind the things of the Spirit not the things of the flesh. When we mind the things of the flesh, we quench the work of the Spirit. That's what Paul is talking about here. So there's many ways that we can do it. How do we quench the Spirit in our lives? Well, we can neglect the means of grace. We can neglect to pray. You just stop praying. People do that. Christians sometimes just stop praying. They get lazy and they don't pray. Well, you're quenching the Spirit when you don't pray. Or stop reading your word, reading God's word. Don't spend time in his word. That's another way to quench the spirit, to resist the spirit. Because the spirit, like we said before, takes the word, reveals it to us. He works it into us. And if we don't pick it up and read it, then the spirit can't work. Or we can neglect to come to church and participate in the sacraments and get the fellowship of other believers to encourage us. We stay home when, on Sunday mornings and not come to church, then we are resisting the Spirit. We are quenching the Spirit. We can not only neglect to do our duties, but we can actively sin. If we allow sin to grow in our lives and to, to, to stay in our lives without trying to, seeking to put it to death, then we're quenching the Spirit. We're causing weeds to grow. Like I said before, 
You can throw water on a fire. You can throw dirt on a fire to put it out. But you can also neglect a fire. If you neglect a fire, it will eventually go out. You have to tend it. You have to stir it up. You have to throw fuel on it. The fuel of God's word, the fuel of prayer, the fuel of the sacraments, the fuel of fellowship with other believers. These things rekindle the flame in our lives. We can also quench the Spirit by not using our gifts. The Holy Spirit has given us spiritual gifts. And by not using it, we quench the Spirit in our lives and in the lives of those who would be who are missing out on getting the benefit of our gifts. The Spirit has given every believer a gift. If you've got a gift, you need to exercise it. And that is a mark of being filled with the Spirit. Well, the only way a non-believer can quench the Spirit is, like I mentioned before, my own uh, life. When convicted of sin, refusing to repent and come and to turn to Christ for forgiveness. So that's where we are today, quenching the Spirit. Are we quenching the Spirit? Probably we are, in some way, form, or another in our lives. And, and we will be wrestling with this until the Lord returns, until we're made perfect in holiness in His presence. And until that time, we need to be reminded that don't quench the Spirit because it's easy for us to do. We can become lazy, we can, become, we can fall into sin, we can neglect uh, our spiritual lives, we can, we can, through our bad example, quench the spirit in other people. And we can discourage other people through our discouragement. So may the Lord help us not to quench the spirit, but to be filled, to be controlled by the spirit that dwells in us if we're believers. And if you're not a believer today, you don't know where you are, if you're thinking, I don't know, I don't see the evidence of the Holy Spirit in my life, then I would encourage you to cry out to the Lord. Call upon him to recognize that flesh can do nothing. You can't earn your way to heaven. You can't be good enough for the Lord. Only through the Spirit coming into your life can you be transformed and changed and cleansed. The Spirit takes the work of Christ and applies it to our lives. May the Lord give us grace in these days in which we live to be the church that God has called us to be, to to walk in holiness, to, to walk by the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit and not follow after the desires of the flesh. Let's pray. Let's make that our prayer today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your word, these, this brief word. But we do pray, Lord, that you would help us to be mindful of these things, particularly mindful of what the Spirit would have us to be mindful of. Lord, we ask that you would help us to not quench the Spirit, wake us up from our slumbers and sloth and laziness. And Father, help us to fan into flame the, the gifts that you've given us and uh, the, 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 the work of the Spirit within us by attending to your word and prayer and, and the other means of grace that you have given us. And Lord, may we encourage one another in our faith. And Lord, we pray for any who don't know you today that the Spirit would work in their lives to convict of sin, to draw them into a relationship with you. Grant us, Lord, all uh, repentance from the sins that we have fallen into and that we tolerate in our lives 
And Lord, give us a, a will to put those things to death that are unpleasing to you and not in step with the Spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our final hymn is...